Good afternoon, Lafayette, Acadiana. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. This is the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today, 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. Let's start with, I guess you could call it an, an international story because it is in Canada, but there are some national implications here. Um, so you've all heard by now the the trucker convoy protests and everything that's going on in Canada, right? In fact, I know that Dan Bongino, uh, just before this show, was talking about it. Earlier today, somebody sent me this. This is incredible. Uh, the site Rebel News, which is an outfit out of Canada. Um, Trudeau's, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster is combing through the illegally hacked database of Give, Send, Go donors. That's the equivalent of GoFundMe. And emailing donors asking them to explain themselves. So somebody illegally hacked a database of these donors, specifically donors who were giving money, donating money to the trucker convoy causes and asking them to explain why they were supporting it. This is a supposed journalism outfit, although really, again, state run, state paid for, state run. They are going to intimidate people into never giving to one of these freedom causes again. And that's the point. Trudeau has shown himself to be somebody who is very much in favor of going the autocratic route when necessary. He's using every power just shy of the military to go after people and break up this protest, go after anybody that supported that protest. And you should note that it's not Give, Send, Go, but GoFundMe and other charitable sites like this that willingly hand over their data to governments and willingly bow to government pressure against causes that governments may not like. They've done it here in the U.S., and they're, going, and they're doing it in Canada. But Give, Send, Go was hacked. Their private information was hacked. Well, the donor's private information was hacked and was given to the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And the CBC is going through, and their journalists are calling the donors and saying, why did you do this? It's a huge breach of confidence, a huge breach of private data, and it is insane that any outfit, government-run or not, that... that that professes to be a journalistic outfit would do this. It is mind-boggling. All of that said, take a look at what's happening in Canada right now. There is this massive protest going on. It is effectively capable of shutting down a huge portion of the of the Canadian economy. And that's why it has the Canadian government really upset. It's a challenge to Justin Trudeau's and the government's power, but it's also capable of doing some serious economic damage. And so the government's going after it. They're going after anyone involved. There are, as there are with every protest, some extremist elements that are going in and saying and doing things that are uh, antithetical to the actual cause of the movement. They want the freedom to decide whether or not they get a vaccine. That's it. Fun fact you may or may not know, 
the majority of the truckers in Canada are vaccinated. This only affects a, a relative handful of truck drivers in Canada. But it's about the freedom of the cause. There are some folks like Paul Krugman at the New York Times, columnist, Nobel Prize winner in economics for reasons that escape me. If you want to know what's happening with the economy, read anything Paul Krugman writes and then do the opposite. Krugman is out there today essentially trying to gaslight Americans, saying that what's happening in Canada is this extremist anarchic movement compared to the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020, of the summer of 2020. And he's absolutely wrong. And we know he's wrong, but he is, a, he is seriously trying to gaslight Americans on this. He had a little tweet thread about it. Krugman wants you to believe that, that cities, buildings and businesses being burned down was more peaceful than what's going on in Canada right now. There are no mass fires. There are no, there, there's no destruction of property. None of that's going on. People are blocking streets, and yes, that is controversial. And conservatives are supporting this one and not say, are supporting this one and we're against what was happening with the Black Lives Matter protest. But consider, the Black Lives Matter protests were largely peaceful during the day. It was at night when the Antifa anarchists came in and did the bulk of the damage that carried over into the following days. You also have to remember that there's a difference between Black Lives Matter, the movement, and Black Lives Matter, the organization. It's the organization that was fully supporting Antifa and all this. And keep in mind, what the truckers want is for the government to just write on a little sheet of paper, there's no more vaccine mandate. That's it. That's all they want. It is very easy to end this right now. But it's a challenge to the government's power, so the government is not a fan of it. What, was the, uh, what, what did Black Lives Matter want? They wanted something a little more nebulous. Racial equality, racial justice. You can't just sign a paper and say, more racial justice at the end. That's something that you have to continue fighting for. That is something that you have to continue trying to push for change for. It's not very easy to just make this go away. The Canadian trucker convoy, the, the protests there, it's easy to make go away. Sign the paper. Get rid of the vaccine mandate. That's it. Nothing nebulous about it. This is, by the way, everything else aside, this is why you should be damn grateful that you live where you live and you're not worried about the Canadian government going full autocratic on you and trying to dive into your personal financial data and see who you've donated to and all that. Yes, we've had threats of it. But there's always a balance in power where it shifts back one way or another. Our government is set up differently. There are checks and balances in the power structure. And we've had close calls. And I'm not not trying to make light of those close calls. But in Canada, at the snap of a finger, they can go full autocratic and there's no check to that power. And because of it, the private 
financial information is being used by the government to target and harass people. This is happening right now. So as much as we can complain, and this is for Democrats and Republicans, me saying this right here, as much as we can complain about the flaws in our government, about what each party is doing, there is a check to that power. There is a balance in that power. And we're damn lucky to live where we live right now. 232-1542, if you want to call in, be part of the conversation, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, lots to talk about. Uh, Inflation continuing to go up. David Axelrod is actually telling Joe Biden to stop lying. And this interesting proposal to bring up conversation on video poker in Lafayette. Going to talk about all that and more coming up here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542. You can also find me online at Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. You can also go to Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. You can listen to any part of the show that you missed by going to your favorite podcast network and just finding me there, the Joe Cunningham Radio Show, uh, Spotify, Apple, whatever your podcast platform is. And you can also email me, joe at redstate.com, if you just want to kind of send a private comment about the show or anything I've talked about during the day. I want to go from international to local real quick. Uh, I heard uh, Ian and Bernie talking about it. I see that it's on the Lafayette Parish Council agenda for their meeting tonight. Uh, they will be discussing, uh, potentially, uh, bringing back video gaming, video poker, to Lafayette Parish. Now, I am a transplant down here. I've only been here the last you know, 12 years. Or not, not some, about 10 years. Um, about, yeah, 2012, so 10 years. And... Video poker uh, just being taken out in, in 96. All that before my time here. So I come from a part of the state where video poker is still a thing and has been, never was really kicked out or whatever. In, in fact, when I was in high school, I was, in a, I was in my senior year, I was in a band and we actually played at bars in Shreveport. And we were the only kids at 18 allowed in because they had video poker machines there. And it was, it was the fact that we were in the band that we were allowed to be in there uh, performing. Otherwise, you couldn't be in one of those establishments under 21 because they had the video poker stuff there. Currently, you can't have them here in Lafayette Parish. They, the Lafayette Parish Council will discuss it tonight. It's, it, it's not any actionable item on the agenda. They just want to have the conversation. They want to start the conversation right now. I've got no problem with video poker, I've really got no problem expanding gambling in the state for the most part. My, my one hesitation is always going to be new casinos, new physical locations for casinos, because typically when you bring those in, there's the potential, and we, we see it more often than not, uh, human trafficking, drug trafficking, stuff like that. The, these, these black market types of, of activities surround casinos when they enter, the back alley type stuff. They, they surround casinos when they do move in. So it's always kind of a concern of mine when an actual physical casino location is being discussed and possibly being built and approved and all that. Get very worried about that. I think video poker is ultimately a good thing for some of the sm- from some of the businesses that were hit hardest by the pandemic, which was bars, uh, bars and restaurants. Video poker being allowed actually benefits these small businesses. And anything that benefits a small business, I'm typically in favor of. 
we need more flourishing small businesses. In the United States, we actually have this problem. And you're, you're now seeing a rejection of it by the base of the Republican Party. But the Republican Party got very cozy with the National Chamber of Commerce. And that's why you saw a lot of Republican policy that benefited Wall Street and not Front Street. There was this huge push that, oh, we're going to be the pro-business party. And then the Republican Party got in bed with the National Chamber of Commerce, which had no problems screwing over small businesses. I love anything that benefits small businesses. And if video poker is something that can help small businesses, I'm all for it. The problem here is that Lafayette is broke. On multiple occasions, they've tried. They've tried to pass new tax measures. It hasn't really worked out. The voters continue to reject it. And I've been here long enough to have seen that multiple times. And it's a concern when that revenue is brought into the conversation when trying to decide on a new policy. Right now, it is very, very sketchy to me that after failed measure after failed measure, this comes up. And one of the first things to come up is the revenue side of it. I don't think it benefits Lafayette to make these types of decisions based on revenue. And even if the council is saying, well, you know, this is not about the revenue, that's just a, a benefit to it. The fact of the matter is tax measure after tax measure has failed and finance has come into the equation. It's on the parish council to justify how every dollar currently going to the parish government is being spent. And if they're not going to do that, they don't deserve anything that just gets them more taxpayer money. Fix your house before you try to rob ours. Say the same thing locally that I'll say about the state that I'll say about the national. I would love to support a measure that benefits small businesses. We need more measures like that. It's one of the best ways that you can increase revenue, by the way, is by supporting your small, your small businesses, making it easier for people to own and operate a small business in your locality. We should be doing that. We should make our business climate friendlier. But if your primary or even secondary concern is the impact on revenue, that's a warning sign. The government should not be focusing on the revenue for a measure like this. That should be tertiary. If you're wanting to do something that benefits small businesses for the sake of small businesses, I'm all for it. But if you're looking at something because it means more tax revenue to you, you've messed up somewhere. And you need to go in and you need to justify that every dollar you're currently getting is being well spent. And if it's not, you need to figure out how to fix that before you ask for any more money from taxpayers. Now, yeah, it's gambling. People are throwing their money away. It's not really theirs. They're voluntarily throwing it away like that. But in essence, what you're saying when you make this about the financial impact on the parish 
is you're saying there is money out there that we're not getting and we want it. And I have a major problem with that when it comes to a governing body saying that. Now, again, that the conversation starts tonight at the parish council meeting. And I fully expect that this measure will go on to be on the ballot. And I fully expect that there will be some, you know, PR campaigns by the parish government to get this out there because they do want that money. It's not going to make or break the parish by, all, by any means. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's, it's simply not going to make or break us, but it will help them. And at this point, if they're looking at a way to grab a couple extra million here or there, then they've got some deeper problems because this is a city that, that operates on a multi-million dollar budget and they need all the cash they get. That's a problem. I hope that the people of Lafayette understand that if they're voting for this, they're doing so to support small businesses because this will help small businesses, bars and restaurants. I, I hope that people aren't going to the polls because they want to give the local government more money. 232-1542 if you want to join in this conversation or any other. When we come back, let's talk about inflation continuing to go up here on, the News, Talk, uh, on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. All right, we've got a new measure of inflation that is also incredibly high. The producer price index is showing similar data to what we saw, and I mentioned it last week. Uh, the, the, um, the inflation numbers last week, what we saw coming out of January, uh, it's... It is a 40-year high and showing massive, massive spikes. Well, the producer price index, which tracks the average price changes America's producers get paid for their goods and services, rose 9.7% in the 12 months from January 21 to January 22. That is not adjusted for seasonal swings, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is across the board, um, food, energy, uh, things that aren't as, uh, that are not as volatile, uh, everything can, uh, the producer price index has jumped. There's no ceiling to these rising inflation numbers either. They keep on growing and this is bad for the Biden administration and for the consumer. Let's not make it completely political. This is bad for you and me because everything continues to get more expensive. We saw a, uh, a hike in gas prices that went down a little bit, but they're kind of hovering much higher than where they were prior to this economic crisis. This comes after, again, last week's numbers that showed a 40-year high. And Joe Manchin, Democrat uh, Senator, a thorn in the side of progressives, came out last week and essentially said that Build Back Better is dead. Um, he's not going to vote for any measure that just pumps more government money into the economy and continues to cause inflation to rise. In order to fight inflation, the one thing the government can do is start to raise interest rates. But do you know what happens when you start to raise interest rates? A recession. Raising interest rates always causes at least a brief recession, depending on how much you jump and how bad the economy is, is at the moment. There would be a recession if interest rates rise. Now, granted, personally, I would love for interest rates to not rise for a little bit because I am still car hunting and house hunting right now. By the way, driving by dealerships, 
those lots look very empty. So the supply chain crisis is still in play there. And used car prices are still insanely high. Uh, somebody keeps point telling me to, to try Carvana. And, and well, they, they, you know, they deliver stuff to you. But they also have the, like the, the actual place, like the car vending machines, which is very weird to me and just a sign of how far we've come when you can have an entire car in a vending machine. I would rather one of those claw game car machines where you just put in the amount of money and then you try to get a car out of there and you're just stuck with whatever the claw grabs. That may be too advanced. Anyway, here's the thing. Consumers are being, frankly, screwed at the cash register on just about anything. It's not getting better. Now, the government is out there. The, the Biden administration is now offering a gas tax holiday, which would really hurt a lot of Democrat pet projects because they just passed an infrastructure bill. And you know what pays for a lot of, the inf a lot of those infrastructure projects? The gas tax. But you have the progressives who are saying, we need a gas tax holiday. That'll lower the prices. It's a gimmick. Raphael Warnock of Georgia, who's up for re-election this year in a very tight race, is uh, against probably Herschel Walker. Uh, he's out there saying we must get rid of the gas tax permanently. Getting rid of the gas tax hurts infrastructure projects across the country. It hurts every locality, every municipality all across the country. It's a gimmick. When you have to resort to gimmicks, you're losing. The numbers are out. Biden's, what, I think the best state he's performing in in terms of approval rating is in Vermont with 50 point something percent. Everywhere else, his disapproval numbers are higher, including West Virginia. His numbers there are like in the upper 30s. And Joe Manchin, by the way, is somewhere between the 50s and 60 percent range. So please continue to go after Joe Manchin in West Virginia. This is all a bad sign for the Democrats to make it political. They can't do anything substantial to reverse what's happening. If they solve the inflation crisis by raising interest rates, that causes a recession, more economic pain, just in a different way. There's really nothing they can do. And these gimmicks that they want to try, voters are, are cynical enough to see through these gimmicks. Biden cut jobs in the, in, in the energy sector. He killed the Keystone Pipeline project. He's put a halt to, to drilling on federal land. He has flooded the economy with government money and has caused inflation. It's ruined the value of the dollar. Nothing they've done has made anything any better. And so they have to resort to these gimmicks. Voters are aware. This is something they feel. You know the old saying, people vote with their wallets, vote with their pocketbooks? Well, right now, the pocketbooks are hurting. And voters are getting very tired of the pain at the cash register. To dismiss it, as Nancy Pelosi did yesterday, by trying to spin the situation with, oh, well, when you have more jobs, that causes inflation. People recognize the BS there. People recognize that, yes, we have jobs, and yes, our wages are growing, but inflation is outstripping all of that. We have more money, but everything costs way more than what we're getting. 
it only serves to infuriate those voters. It's a big reason that both the House and the Senate are in play. A year ago, had you said that both the House and the Senate were going to be in play, people would have laughed at you. Yes, the Democrats had narrow majorities, but it was likely the House was going to be in trouble, but people didn't really think the Senate was going to be in play. But now, with everything going wrong, and really starting in August with the Afghanistan pullout, everything has gone wrong for Biden and the Democrats. And things will only continue to get worse before they have any hope of getting better. There isn't a ceiling to this, like I said. And last month's jobs report was good, but it's still not enough to get people back to where they were. And the Democrats have no answer for this. They don't. Every idea that the Democrats want to try is being put forward by their loud progressive wing, and the moderates are shaking their head no with their eyes wide going, please God, no. And the Biden administration, which is beholden to these progressives, is throwing all these ideas out there. The progressives have put Biden in a very tight spot. Their open warfare in the Democratic Party has forced the Biden administration to make a lot of mistakes. Now, truth be told, Biden was always this progressive. But Biden used to be a little more pragmatic and was able to see things by, you know, let's move the ball down the field. Democrats have been very good for decades about moving the ball down the field. Republicans have not been. Republicans have always been all or nothing. One of the most frustrating things for me is when pro-life groups are against any sort of pro-life legislation that doesn't get rid or, or ban abortion immediately. Republicans typically are bad at playing small ball. They're bad at moving the ball down the field. Democrats have been very good at it. They have moved the ball several times. But the progressives came in very loud, very proud, and pushed Biden to the left. Because if, they, if Biden didn't go as far left as they wanted, they would be in open warfare. And the Democratic Party would be even more disunited than it is right now. That's a problem for the Democrats. Is continuing to be a problem, and it's going to continue to hurt them. And come 2022's elections, it's going to be a slaughter. It's going to be a bloodbath. 232-1542 if you want to take part in the conversation. One more break, and then we're going to come back for our last segment of the day. Let's talk about David Axelrod telling Joe Biden to stop lying. All that and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965K Pell. Join in the conversation 232-1542 if you'd like. Y'all, there's this trend on on TikTok, social media site, uh, where people will go and uh, sing at service workers to place their order. Please, if you or somebody you know is doing this, sit them down and tell them to stop. That's ridiculous. Service people aren't working to get sung at. Don't do this to them. If somebody were to do that to me, I would quit on the spot. Like, straight up, I would quit on the spot if somebody were to get their entire family to do a song and dance ordering ice cream like I'm seeing in this video in front of me right now. That is ridiculous. You know what's not ridiculous, though? David Axelrod, in a piece in the New York Times telling Joe Biden essentially to stop lying to the American public. Mr. President, he writes, proceed with caution. 
Talk about the things you and Congress have done to help meet the challenges Americans are facing, for sure. Lay out your goals for the future, absolutely. Offer realistic hope for better days ahead. We desperately need it. But recognize that we are still in the grips of a national trauma. Polls show that the vast majority of Americans believe we are on the wrong track and people will have little patience for lavish claims of progress that defy their lived expectations. Unsurprisingly, he says later in this, incidents of suicide, drug overdose, overdose deaths, and violence in our homes and on the streets have grown dramatically. Frustrations with masks, mandates, and shifting rules have deepened our political divides. Jobs have come roaring back, raising wages. But those wage increases have been eaten up by inflation, the likes of which we have not seen in four decades. And all the while, the rich have gotten richer. The State of the Union is stressed to claim otherwise, Axelrod writes, to highlight the progress we have made without fully acknowledging the hard road we have traveled and the distance we need to go would seem off-key and out of touch. Axelrod is telling Biden, stop lying about everything being rosy. Because it's not. You cannot jawbone, he says. You simply cannot jawbone Americans into believing that things are better than they feel. Axelrod was a strategist for Barack Obama, worked in the Obama administration, knows a thing or two about democratic politics. James Carville is saying the same thing, by the way. Now, you may dislike both of them. Actually, I like watching them on TV. They are very entertaining as commentators. And I disagree with them. But you can, at least, you, you can at least tell that they are thinking about things rationally. So it's one of the reasons that I like Van Jones, despite the fact that he's a 9-11 truther and he's a super socialist. Van Jones, David Axelrod, James Carville, I enjoy watching on TV because you can tell they really mean what they're saying and they're really thinking about it in a smart way. Whereas a lot of other operatives out there are just saying whatever gets them the quickest buck. That's why if you ever see me on TV, you guys need to just round, come together, uh, come time me and drag me away from whatever camera I'm on. I do not want to be in that position. But Axelrod is out there telling Biden. By the way, Axelrod worked in Obama's administration while Biden was vice president. The two know each other. They've worked together. And Axelrod is out there telling him, Stop painting this rosy picture and acknowledge what people are going through because right now you're just infuriating people more. It's like I said in the last segment. People are getting furious with national Democrats for trying to say that things are so great. The reason we have inflation, Nancy Pelosi said, is because people have more jobs. This is the same Pelosi who during the last recession said, oh, well, what we really need is, you know, people want to get out of the slavery of, of being eight-hour workers. They want to work more than one job. They want the freedom to work multiple jobs. No. People don't want to work multiple jobs. Some people have passions and turn some of their hobbies into jobs, but people don't want to work two jobs to make ends meet. And yes, more people are working, and yes, wages are going up, but inflation is outstripping it. Out. Inflation is out of control. When the voices are coming from within your own house, from Joe Manchin, from James Carville, from David Axelrod, from Kirsten Cinema, from all these Democrats who know what's going to happen if the Democrats keep going down this road and the Democrats aren't listening, that's an issue. That means 
It's bad out there for the Democratic Party. And that brings me, interestingly enough, to Louisiana. Did you know that Luke Mixon, who is running for the Senate against John Kennedy, his uh, campaign manager appears to be Richard Carbo, former John Bell Edwards political operative. Mixon has raised about $196,000 and has spent about $75,000. He's got 120 cash on hand, roughly. Kennedy is sitting on somewhere between, what, 7 and $10 million, something like that. Here's what's interesting. Gary Chambers has raised about 600000 compared to the nearly 200000 that Mixon has raised. Chambers is going out there and redefining things. He's dropped these two controversial ads. He's getting major donors from all over the country, California, New York. He's done tours there. He's getting that money to bring back to the state to run this campaign. He sees the time for the Democratic Party to change and to, and to do something different here in the state of Louisiana. There are currently no visionaries like that in the Democratic Party. Right now, what you have nationally in the national Democratic politics, you have people that want to do things right now and people who want to do extreme things in pay, at a steady pace. And Chambers is one of those guys who's going to be one of those extreme things right now guys. But he's forcing the state Democratic Party to change the way it operates. And there's nobody in the National Democratic Party who's going to do that. That's a problem. And that's why they cannot win any battles in redistricting here in the state or, frankly, across the country. They'll win some. There are a lot of Democratic maps that are actually way more political gerrymandering than what some Republican states have put forward. But the Democrats are losing. They cannot win these battles, and so they're relying on things like gimmicks, like battles in court, and all these other things to try to stop the bleed. They cannot fix their problems. Thank you guys very much for listening to The Joe Cunningham Show here today. We will be back tomorrow with a whole lot more. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you again in 23 hours.